Hey, good morning, church. So we're in a unique season of church life, and, and it's, it really kind of starts, you know, now, and it kind of goes for about four weeks. These are the only four weeks like this on the calendar, the only ones, because it's in the course of these four weeks that you can say to somebody that you don't know if they really like church or want to come to church. This is one of the, during the course of these next four weeks, it's the only time in the whole year where you'll be able to walk up to someone and say, we're doing this thing. We're having a nativity. We're having this. We're having that. It's Christmas Eve service. And you can invite them, and the opportunity or the, the likelihood of them saying yes is very high. As soon as we say, as soon as Christmas Eve service is over, that changes. And so we have this opportunity that we don't want to waste in the next four weeks to be able to invite people to things in our homes, to things at church, to things other places that, we, that they will probably say yes to. One of those things that's coming up next week, next Saturday morning, is the ladies' tea. And so that's the kind of thing where, you know, you can invite somebody who might not necessarily say yes to anything else, but they might say the yes to this. And so I'd encourage you to think about how would you use these next four weeks to bring somebody into the process of knowing Christ or being exposed to Christ in the gospel who's never maybe been it before or maybe has heard about the gospel of Christ a little bit, but they're not very far in their process. And, and this, this, this event, this tea, um, might be one more step and them coming to that place of place having a saving faith in Christ that brings them into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. So, you know, it might not be that um, you, and ladies, you might not like tea. You know what I mean? But do you have somebody in your life who doesn't know Jesus? And, t- and this tea might be the thing to help them to bring them one step closer? You see, that's what these opportunities for the gospel are. They're not always about us. They're not always about what we like. They're not always about what we would do. But if you know somebody who might want to go to a ladies' tea, and you might want to invite them to that tea, and then you might come here and sit there and not enjoy tea, but it's about the person you invite or the person you're across the table from, and them being exposed to the saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And so I'd encourage you, I would, this is really more about the ladies. Sorry, guys, you're leaving you out of this. Unless you know a lady that you want to invite to the tea, but you don't get to come, okay? So, but, so if you know somebody that you might want to bring for them just to be exposed to the church, just to be exposed to Christians, just to be exposed to hearing the gospel, then this is a great opportunity. And you need to understand, you won't get this opportunity in January. No one does a Martin Luther King Day outreach. You know what I mean? No one does a George Washington Day outreach. You don't do a tea for George Washington, right? But for Christmas, you do. And so it's like, you know, when you hear the Lord talk, when you hear them in the New Testament, it says being, uh, I'm going to mess this up because I didn't plan this ahead of time, being as innocent as doves and as cunning as a snake. Is that what it says, right? It's like you think about the opportunities and you think and you say, 
no, I don't want to give up another Saturday, but if this is the only Saturday I have to invite somebody out who might get to hear the gospel and have the opportunity for maybe a follow-up conversation, you go, I'm going to do that. Because what we want is that on our heart is the opportunity to help people in their faith process and coming to know Lord Jesus Christ. That is, I'm going to say it, sorry, but that takes that precedent over the sale at Kohl's that day. That takes the precedent over getting our lights up. That takes the precedent over all these other things that our, our life gets crowded with. And so this is the encouragement. We talked about this last year. This is the encouragement is that right now, the next four weeks are going to be the busiest four weeks of the year. Don't let them crowd out the opportunities for the gospel. Don't let all the busyness of the season um, limit your vision for Jesus. It is, an, uh, it is a terrible thing that we spend the next four weeks celebrating the baby Jesus and we don't take advantage of the opportunities to talk to him, to talk to others about him. We don't want that to happen, do we? And so I'd encourage you that if you, ladies, if you have not considered someone to bring to the tea, that you do so. Betty, um, Betty are you, you going to hand some stuff out? Yeah, go ahead. You should be doing, yeah. There you go. Okay. She, in her previous life, she was a used car salesman. So. <laughs> so, is it just me? Or do any of the others of you find this to be as true as well? That when you send a man to find something in the refrigerator, that it's an exercise in futility. Is that true or not? Is it just me? Because I can go to the refrigerator and open the door and be looking like for the green chunky salsa, and I can say, I don't see it. And she'll say, it's on the, the middle shelf right in front. And I'll go, I don't see it. And then she'll walk in, and it's there when she gets there. It is amazing how that happens. It's amazing how that happens. Or we had a similar kind of thing recently where, you know, sometimes you think you did something and it's not what you thought you did, or you think you're doing something and it's not working out the way you thought it was working out. So similarly recently, we, were, we went to go celebrate our, this is a true confession again, we went to go celebrate our anniversary, it was number 33, and I did count to make sure I had the right one, and so we went to a little a local Italian food establishment here in Newtown, and we were looking over their menu, and I found two items on the menu that sounded especially um, interesting, and so I told Betty, I'm going to choose that one, I don't remember what it was, I said, I'm going to order that, and so the waitress comes, and she says, what are you having, and so Betty gives her her order, and then out of my mouth comes words that I do not where they came from, and I didn't know I'd said them till later, and so I ordered something, and then a plate comes, and I'm looking at this plate, and goes, this looks very different than what I thought it'd look like, and I begin to eat it, and I go, this tastes a lot different than what I thought I ordered, but this is very good, and I like it, and Betty goes, where's the chicken on that dish? I said, I don't know, and she goes, isn't there supposed to be ricotta on that dish? I said, I don't know. And then I realized, for some reason or another, I was not eating what I thought I was supposed to be eating, but I was enjoying it nonetheless. So I thought I'd ordered something else, but when I opened my mouth, a different word came out of my mouth, and I got a whole different plate, but it's not what I thought, but it's what I got, and it turned out to be okay. Is that just me as well, or does anyone else do these kind of things? No one's shaking their head. It's just me. Okay, great. <laughs> So, weather is another great example. 
And weather is another great example of like being told something's going to happen and then nothing happens like that at all. You know, it's like, hey, it's going to be snowing. No, it's 60 degrees outside. Or, hey, it's going to be rain, snowing in 10 feet and you get an inch outside. And it doesn't matter what they're right. I don't understand how you can get away with that. But it's definitely one of those things where you're told something's going to happen and then a different thing happens, right? Well, a similar thing happened where an entire nation was caught looking for something else or looking in the wrong place or looking for the wrong man. At the time of Christ, there were very few who were looking for Jesus when he showed up. In Jesus' days, you know, the Pharisees had made a lot of wrong assumptions regarding the Messiah or regarding Christ. They had assumed correctly that the promised Messiah would be a physical, a literal descendant of David, but they incorrectly had thought he would just be a man, not the God-man. And so, for instance, you come to that place where the great, the triumphal entry, and Jesus has come into the city, and he is, he is, he is making bold proclamations about who he is. And they're like going, this is not true. This cannot be because you're saying you are you're saying we know you're a man, but are you also saying you're God? Because we can't have that. They were looking for a Messiah, but they were not looking for Jesus. So when he showed up, they didn't see him. It's kind of like the salsa on the shelf. It's right in front of them. They were looking at him, but they didn't see him. In the context of our Bible... You know, or in the context, even for uh, Jews at that time, they in large part understood that there was a Messiah, and they understood there was a Messiah because throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's just what it does. You know, you know that, right? So all of the Old Testament, all those first things, all that first writing, all that stuff, it's pointing to Jesus. All of it saying, there's a Messiah coming, Jesus is coming, he's coming, they're pointing at him. In some form or fashion, it's pointing to Jesus. It starts in Genesis 3, where God is he's putting the punishment on Adam and Eve, and then he looks to the devil, he looks to the snake, and he goes, and you, and you, there'll be a man one day that will crush your head. That was pointing to Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament, again and again and again, it's pointing to Jesus. The bronze serpent, to look with faith to be healed of physical ailment. That was pointing to Jesus, to look to Jesus, he who was raised up for spiritual healing. And so the, the Old Testament is pointing. No book points to Jesus more than the book of Psalms. And so this would be our last week of looking at Psalms before we go into more of, a, of a, a Christmas theme here. And so no book looks more to Jesus than the book of Psalms. You know, the New Testament quotes the Psalms more than any other book. And the Psalms talk about Jesus. There are over 100 quotations throughout the New Testament looking back at Jesus and whether, it depends on how you count them. I found people who said, oh, there's only 15 psalms that are messianic. And there are and then you know, others who said, no, there's, there's nearly 40 psalms that are messianic. Let's just say there's a lot of psalms who are pointing toward Christ. Today, we're going to look at a few of these. 
And then we're going to look at a conclusion we can have, even ourselves, about looking for Jesus and all. So, for instance, open up your Bible to Psalms, and let's start in Psalms 2. And I found in first sermon that the way this sermon looked in my mind didn't really look that way when I tried to preach it that way. So this sermon, we're going to preach it differently, and we hope for better results, okay? All right? So just hang in there. So look in Psalm 2 to start there. And this particular psalm is talking about the sonship and the kingship of Jesus. It's referenced in the New Testament in Acts 4, in Acts 13, in Hebrews 1, Hebrews 5, Revelation 2, Revelation 12, Revelation 19. It's, it's, it's referenced many times in the New Testament. And here he's, he's pointing to, Je- to Jesus and he says clearly he describes the person of Christ. He's called the anointed in verse 2. He's called the king in verse 6. He's called the son in verse 7. In verses 8 and 9, it, you know, there he's distinctly, in, in the, your Bible might say it a little bit different, but he says, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as of thine inheritance and their very ends of the earth as, the, as thy possession. Um, and in Sheol, I'm in the wrong passage, I'm sorry, 8 and 9, 8 and 9. Do I even have the right verse? Verses 8 and 9. Verse 12. I'm looking for verse, oh, why am I, what's wrong? I'm, what's, I'm in the wrong psalm, that's why. Never mind. See, it's not going any better in second service than when in first service. Let's just pray and go home, all right? Now, here we go. In verse, in verse 12, uh, let's go to start in verse 11 of chapter 2. Worship the Lord with reverence and with rejoicing, with trembling. Do homage to the sun. Perhaps your Bible says there to kiss the sun, which is something that's like going, what does that really mean? And really what he's saying there is, is to give homage to him, to worship him. Psalms 2 is really speaking about the sonship and the kingship of Jesus. It's pointing to him. Now keep in mind that the average Jew in their day would be familiar with these psalms. And then some would be very, very familiar with them. They would have studied them and memorized them. And so they understand that there is a Messiah coming who is going to be both a son and a king. But they're thinking David. Now you can go to Psalm 8, and there it's talking about his dominion. And this is a great psalm. But and look at everything. It says this is God's glory, and, and he's made man the manager of it all. But he's speaking about this is all of God's dominion. And so it's a great psalm. We're not going to read all these because some of them are far too long, but this one is a great one to be able to read because it's shorter. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Look at what he's talking about. Who has displayed thy splendor above all the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because thine adversaries to make the the enemy and and the revengeful cease. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons, the stars, and all that you've ordained, and then I look at man, you made him a little bit smaller than angels. He keeps going down. But his, uh, the whole context of it is that everything that's been created, all that exists in heaven and earth, that is under your dominion, Lord. You're absolutely the king of all of this. There it is. It's speaking about the Messiah in that way. You can look at um, Psalm 16, which, which we read there for our, this morning at the beginning of worship. And there in Psalm 16, again, it's mentioned in Acts 2 in Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost. It's it's mentioned in Acts 13. And these are speaking about his resurrection. In Psalm 16, it's speaking about his resurrection. 
You can look at Psalm 22, where it speaks about his suffering and his death. And this was a long, we won't read all this, but it's speaking about the suffering and his death. And so you look in here, and it talks about him being alone. So here we go, let's find it here. So, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cried by day, but thou dost not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. It talks about him being physically abused in verse 8. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue because he delights in him. Uh, yet he who just bring me forth from the room, he didn't make me my mother's breast. Until then, he has cast me from the birth. Thou hast been my father, my God, from my mother's womb. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. For there are none to help me. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. And they open, mouth their, they open wide their mouth after me. As ravening and as roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you have laid me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, and evil, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They've divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. There, you cannot find anything that is so, so closely describing the very details of Christ's being on the cross and the events that happened around him. You can go further. You can look at, at, at Psalm 40 where it speaks about the, the obedience of Christ. You can look at Psalm 41 where he is denied. You can, you can look at Psalm 45 where it speaks about him being div, his divinity. You can look at Psalm 68 where it talks about his ascension, about him going to heaven. You can look at Psalm 69 where it speaks of his zeal or Psalm 89 where it speaks of his reign. Psalm 91, where he speaks of him as as the servant. Psalm 102, where it speaks of his creation and his judgment. Psalm 109, that speaks of this Messiah having enemies. Psalm 110, flip over to Psalm 110. And there in Psalm 110, you'll know that one because that is what I referred to earlier when when Jesus has entered the city on the day uh, for the triumphal entry. And there... The Pharisees and the leaders have said, okay, we'll believe that you're a good man. We'll believe that you've done great things. Because you remember, what did they say about his teaching? They said, his words, there's no one who teaches like him. So he had a following for that. And the Pharisees have said, okay, we'll believe that you are a son of David but are you saying you are the son of God? And what does Jesus do? He refers to this psalm to establish his divinity, his divinity in that moment. And that's like the pinnacle of the clash between him and the religious authorities at the time. Because it's there, he uses this one right here. He says, he says that David's son, this Messiah, will be a son of David, but a son of God also. And when Jesus makes that claim, he seals his fate with those religious leaders. It's right here. They had read it. They had heard it. 
they knew it. But when they saw him, they didn't see him as the Messiah. You can go on. There's Psalm 118. Again, it speaks of his headship. And so with all of this information, with all these different psalms that speak about the Messiah, and we just we didn't really look at any of them in depth, and we didn't look at nearly all of them, but with all of these psalms that point to a Messiah, and they point to Jesus, how is it that when they saw him, they didn't know him? How is it that when they knew what they knew, and when they saw him doing what he was doing, and when they saw him teaching what he was teaching, that they didn't go, ah, I've read about this somewhere. Ah, I think I've heard about this somewhere. But they didn't. Matter of fact, when he did make the claim, when he did connect the dots between himself and Psalm 110 and these other Psalms, that's when they said, this can't be true. They denied it even. They even denied it. They wanted a warrior king to free them from an oppressive government, but Jesus knew that was not their greatest need. You see, that's what Jesus is always, always doing. That's why sometimes we open up the fridge and we think we're looking for one thing, but he wants our attention to be on another. You see, here... The Jews at this time, especially the Pharisees, they were looking for a man to liberate them from a Roman government. All of their agenda, all of their agenda was here and now. What they were feeling, the pressure on them. And yet that was not at all the agenda that Jesus was working on. I mean, I don't think that he thought it was great that they were being oppressed by a greater nation. But he knew that that was not the worst thing happening in their lives. He knew that the greater issue was that apart from him, they were going to die and go to hell. That was his agenda. If they had been looking for that, if they had been looking for a Messiah to save them, not from earthly oppression, but from spiritual oppression, they would have found him. They would have opened the refrigerator and go, right here it is, pulled it out and said, I found it. Only a few, Simeon did, Only a few saw him, knew him, responded to him. But most of them were looking for the wrong thing. Most of them were looking for something different. So in our lives, in our lives, we are all, there's there's stuff that affects our lives day in and day out that are pressuring us, that are real. You know, whether it's job security or relationship security or whether it's money issues, or whether it's illness, or whether it's, you know, uh, broken bones, whatever it may be. All those things are real. But those are never the things that Jesus are most interested in. Those are vehicles to what he is most interested in. So our health issues, that's a problem. But it points to something else that he wants us to get our attention to. Our relationship issues, man, there's just, it's terrible. That, they wear on us like nothing else does, right? But that's not the real issue. It is that he is using that relationship issue to point us to something else and to say, this is what I want you to learn about. 
this is what I want you to yield to me, to give to me. This is what I want to have. Um, uh, this is what I want to have um, uh, authority over in your life. This. Let's talk about this. And we keep kind of like, Owen does this thing to Betty. He's not in here, so I can do this. Owen does this thing to Betty that when he wants her attention, this, if you don't know, this is my son who's autistic. And, he'll, and when he wants our attention, he'll like turn our heads. And go, over here, Mom. This is what I want you to hear. This is what I want you to pay attention to. Jesus is never that way. He's not like Owen. You know what I mean? He just lets us keep looking. But he's always standing there like going, come to me. Listen to what I'm trying to teach you. Listen to what I want you to learn. That's important. And that will take care of itself if you take care of this. You see, even with everything we know about Jesus, and some of us have been in the church a long time, isn't it true that we still go looking for the wrong thing instead of looking for him? Isn't it true that, um, isn't it true that at on those times when you did go looking for him and he found you there and he began to deal with that issue in your life that you found that the other issues didn't have the same weight in your life? When he says, you know, come to me all ye who are weak and heavy laden for my yoke is easy, that's what he means. He goes, I know that you're bearing heavy yokes, but come to me because I will give you, I will help you carry those things. But I'm working a different agenda than you. That's the thing even up here about Christmas that I was kind of referring to a moment ago. It's that, is it possible? Is it possible to be talking about the baby Jesus for the next four weeks, singing about him? You know, if you have children, you're making a lot of crafts. I know, you know what? So making crafts about him, decorating a tree about him, reading the Christmas story about him, hearing, I mean, I mean, isn't it possible that for the next four weeks you might talk about Jesus more than you do the entire year and still miss him? It is, isn't it? I can tell you that, that I probably have more difficulty in the month of December Listening, hearing, and seeing Jesus than I do any other month of the year. Because it's just, it's, that, it's the nature of life that we allow ourselves to get caught up. I have to do this. This is important. And the important, quote unquote, things of life push out the most important thing in life. And isn't that true? That was what the Jews of the day did. It was an important thing that they were being oppressed by a foreign government. That's an important thing. But it robbed them from embracing the most important thing. You see, we're not unlike the Jews. The Jews had the, all the Old Testament that was pointing them to a Messiah. And that given everything that's said here, they probably should have seen him. And we often say, oh, if it's me, I would have saw him. But I don't think we would. I don't think we've evolved very much from our forebearers 2,000 years ago because we have all of this, and we still miss him. We have all of this, and we're still overlooking him. We're still looking for him, even though he's right there. 
You know, my favorite verse, I think it is my favorite verse. I have a lot of favorite verses. So in my top 10 is, is the passage in John 1 where it says, if you want to see, if you want to know God, look to Jesus because he defines him. People all the time are saying, I wish I knew what God wanted from me. And it's just look to Jesus. Look to him. Here we are um, on the cusp of the Christmas season again. Let's not be like the Jews of 2,000 years ago who were looking for something but never finding it or never seeing it. Let's not be like the Jews of 2,000 years ago who were looking for a Messiah and then when he arrived, they missed him. For We'll be talking about the baby Jesus for a month. Let's not miss him this month. Let's be attentive. Let's be looking for him. Not to fix our lives, but let's look to him for him. I think that the reading program that, that Steve has put together and Luke is going to be a great aid to us. But we can be doing that all year long. But this month, let's make sure that we see him. We find him for who he is and for what he wants to teach us and where he wants to lead us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for your great patience with us, for your great mercy to us, for the way that you really, really are always just waiting on us. We are always lagging behind you, it seems like. Father, this month, as we talk about the baby Jesus, may we find him, may we see him, and may we celebrate him afresh and anew. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.